0: You're listening to Online Radio Podcast. Thank you for joining us. One of the more anticipated interviews uh, of the mother of all talk shows. Thank you for uh, agreeing to uh, talk with us. We wanted to get your in depth analysis uh, of the situation in Nigeria. But first, uh, can you clear something up? Uh, was I unfair? On Tinubu, when I
1: described them as a bag man, um, I actually think you didn't you didn't go far enough. Um, so, as as you may know, I am um, the journalist who is basically responsible for putting this story out um, into the the public domain. Uh, more recently, there was a story that I published last year on this issue, which um, became the basis for all of this, Um, and in that story, the headline of the story is actually from drug lord to presidential candidates. I described him as a drug lord. I think that's a a fair description based on the evidence that is available. So calling him a bad man is actually a bit tame because it it kind of, it implies that there's still some sort of separation between him and the drug trader. Okay, he wasn't actually directly involved in handling heroin, he just handled the money. But actually, um, that's not what the evidence says it all. if you actually read through the court papers, it becomes very clear that this person was intimately involved in the heroin trade in Chicago. For whatever reason, um, the U.S. authorities have chosen to sit on their hands, and I I guess we'll come to that later in the show anyway.
0: Yes, uh, so how does such a man, even if he was just a bag man, uh, but worse if he was more, how does such a man end up as the president of a mighty country like Nigeria?
1: Um, short answer, um, he doesn't, or he's not supposed to. Um, but I guess we live in very um, unusual times. Um, we live in a time when it's, it's become um, increasingly clear that certain countries, i.e. the U.S., um, are becoming more and more brazen about their Willingness to basically set everyone else on fire to keep themselves warm. So in this case, it is increasingly evident. If you've read, if you've read my story, if you watch my documentary, if you read the reporting by uh karenberg uh, Kirenberg of, of Grey Zone News, if you've seen, if you if you read the court documents, if you've done your research, it becomes very clear that this person who is supposedly sitting in Aso Rock as the president of Nigeria isn't actually working for Nigeria. We essentially have a U.S. intelligence asset um, occupying the office of Nigeria's president. And the U.S. authorities are well aware of of his history, of his past. Um, they're actual, the, I personally am involved in at least two legal processes as we speak, trying to um, force the U.S. authorities to make the contents of his FBI, his FBI file public, because there is an FBI file on him. And we get tossed around a lot. Oh, so, um, due to privacy concerns, uh, we're not going to let you have this information. And it's like, well, this is the president of a sovereign country. So I think we, we're well past the point of you know invoking privacy concerns now, because the foreign policy decisions or the local policy decisions made by this guy um, potentially affect the lives of 200 million people, even more, as we're seeing now in the case of the war with Niger, which is determined to have potentially an entire quarter of Africa could be going up in flames because we essentially have a president whom, first of all, was never qualified to run for that office, should never have been on that ballot, legally speaking. And most importantly, we did not vote for him. He did not win the election. And based on the the data that the U.S. government itself paid for, the polls that the U.S. government itself, uh, the pre-election polling and research the U.S. government itself paid for, based on the reports that, 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 that were put out by the EU Observer Commission, it's evident, it's visible to the blind and audible to the deaf. And not only did this guy not win the election, he, he wasn't even close. And yet, some of these um, powerful countries, shall we say, have simply decided that, look, we have foreign policy objectives, we have foreign policy goals, and one of these goals is, for whatever reason, to keep our thumb West Africa and the way to keep our thumb on West Africa is to ensure that whoever is in power in Nigeria is someone who is completely supreme, completely pliable, someone who essentially can be blackmailed, because that's 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 how that's my reading of the situation. So essentially right now, um Nigeria is sovereign in name, but we are essentially under under some sort of foreign occupation. That's that's the way I see it, because the person who is wielding the powers of state as president is not working in the interests of the country. He's not working for us. We didn't put him there. We didn't vote for him. And he's not answering to us. He's answering to Paris. He's answering to D.C., you know, London to a lesser extent. He's answering to everyone except us, the 200 million people of Nigeria. So where does that leave us? I mean, who knows?
0: Well, is there extant uh, extent, uh, a legal system in Nigeria that is at least uncompromised to the extent that they will do their duty and reverse what is clearly a a kangaroo hijacking of the presidency of a great uh, country. Uh, I mean, the ballot rigging and and all the rest, all of this is in court. The man, Mr. Obi, who came second, uh, he's pursuing it. Is there any chance of judicial... uh, R- resolution of this matter, or are the people going to have to take to the streets?
1: Um, so I don't, I don't believe that the Nigerian judiciary actually has it in them, and the reason I say I don't, I don't believe it is, it's more than just it's much more than just a case of ballot rigging, right? This won't be the first Nigerian election to be rigged. The issue here is, over and above that, there is a surplus of evidence. And makes it very clear that this person should never even have been on the ballot. This is someone whose university uh, degree certificates submitted to the Electoral Commission are obvious forgeries. It's an obvious forgery. I did a story on this in November. It is, it's such an obvious forgery. You can actually trace where it came from. It came from a cheap online forgery service called diplomamakers.com. Right? This degree certificate has grammatical errors on it. Right, uh, we we took the extraordinary step of actually uh, submitting a a subpoena to the supposed university. He went to Chicago State University for the records of this person known as Bola Tinobu. and the the results that came back were at total variance with the things that he submitted. I he submitted a bunch of forgeries, right? So there's there's controversy over even the basic identity of this person right? We have an actual criminal here, and this isn't something we just came to light recently. This is something which as far back as last year, when I did a story on this, this actually went to court. We actually took this to the Federal High Court in Abuja that this is a national security problem here. We essentially have someone who we don't even know who this person is, right? All we know about this person is this person used to be a drug dealer. Somehow the other bought his way into the Nigerian political mainstream, and somehow this person is about to contest an election on the platform of the ruling party and here is evidence suggesting that this person has committed all kinds of frauds committed identity theft he has submitted forgeries he has committed multiple perjuries and what happened was the uh not a single judge agreed to take on the case so the case is pretty much just timed out it just sat at the court it wasn't assigned to a judge all the judges ran away nobody wanted to touch it so he ended up running during the election, which he still lost anyway, and then somehow at 4 a.m. when everyone was asleep, he was declared winner. So now I think, so, I don't, I don't well, believe uh, that in the judiciary uh, many of our, um, uh, many,
0: of our uh, many of our American audience will be familiar with that phenomenon. Indeed, I'm familiar with it myself, uh, in English uh, elections, in which I had an interest. Uh, the 4 a.m. Uh, delivery of just enough ballots to win is one issue. But as you say, that has happened many times in Nigerian politics. I suppose the big question is why the ruling party was reduced to picking him as their nominee. Uh, Couldn't they come up with somebody better than him? Uh,
1: A drug dealer from Chicago? Well, um I guess they they were constrained because the um the political deal if you like the political transaction which brought the former president president Buhari to power was essentially um a temporary merger of two remarkably different political formations so if if you can think of it in terms of say 2010 in the UK because I was in the UK at the time so the deal that put the conservative party, uh, party in power where there was the Conservative power and then there was the um I think it was the uh, what it was the, the independent party, what was it called? The Liberal the, um, the Liberal Liberal the, Democrats. The Lib yeah. yeah, exactly. And no one expected that there would ever be any sort of, you know, merger between the two. But there was a partnership, Nick Clegg and David Cameron and you know, the rest is history. Something similar happened in twenty fifteen where in twenty thirteen actually, where the party now known as the APC was sort of cobbled together, a loose coalition. So it was the CPC, which was like a northern you know, a, a northern interest party, and then there was the the so-called um, uh, ACM, the Action Congress, which was a more southwestern party. These two historically are chalk and cheese. But for the purpose of seizing power from the then ruling PDP, they sort of cobbled together a coalition. And I guess the deal was, okay, you, that's Buhari from the CPC, you get to rule for eight years, right? And then after you it's going to be my turn, since I'm the one making this possible. I'm the one putting up the money, because he has endless amounts of money. Obviously, you know, we have an idea of where that money comes from. Um, I'm putting up the money. I'm making all of this possible. I have the the international connections, because he's deeply connected with, for whatever reason, with the um, the the democratic uh, establishment in the U.S. Um, as if you read my story, I'm sure you know he's you know deeply connected with Hillary Clinton. uh his good friend Gilbert Shagiri. So he has all these international connections. In fact, the um, campaign manager that ran Buhari's campaign in 2015 was none other than David Axelrod. The David Axelrod, the same guy who ran Obama's campaign. So he has all these international connections. He has all this money. So he essentially made Buhari the president on the um, assumption that after eight years it's gonna be his turn. And that's exactly what happened. So. Essentially, um, the entire country of Nigeria, all 200 million human beings, was essentially the subject of a trade between this guy and a political formation in the North. Okay, if you give me this thing, if you come into a coalition with me, I'm going to let you have eight years, and after that, I get to be president. In fact, it's no coincidence that his, his campaign tagline, and this was literal, this isn't Unironically, you can, conf- you can confirm this from any Nigerian you speak to. His campaign tagline was Emilo Lokan," which, if you translate that to English, it literally means, it's my turn. That was his campaign tagline. And you know, that was very unironic. He actually meant that it's his turn. So his entire thing was, well, I gave you people the presidency for eight years. Now it's your, it's, 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 uh, it's your turn to reward me for giving you this thing, so it's my turn, essentially. So that's, that's unfortunately, that's the level of Nigerian politics. There's no, there's no ideology, it's just horse trading, and that's it.
0: Well, uh, that might have uh, succeeded uh, if this new Niger crisis had not erupted, because, uh, well, quite frankly, uh, if he confines his criminality Uh, to uh, robbing the people of Nigeria, and that's just a matter for the people of Nigeria. But if he's about to plunge the whole of West Africa into uh, the quagmire, into into, uh, a forest fire that will burn, that becomes an international matter of some importance. Now, why has he chosen to be the spearhead of the obvious French and US attempt to intervene in Niger, even if it means all-out war with Niger, Burkina Faso, uh, with the Mali, uh, and who knows where else? And will the Nigerians put up with that?
1: Internal reasons. Um, under the Nigerian constitution, if, if, uh, if the country is in a state of war, then the president or the head of state essentially becomes a king essentially it becomes um, impossible to, to to remove the head of state so there's a as you, as you, you mentioned there's a there's a legal process in court um, even though i don 't really have faith in the Nigerian judiciary to do the obvious thing which is to disqualify him because he clearly should never have been on the balance. This person is a criminal, but there is there is still a chance that something could happen there so this could be a method of sort of ensuring that that base is covered that you know regardless of whatever decision is arrived at by the courts that just by the by virtue of being in a state of war it becomes essentially unremovable which is permitted by the nigerian constitution um the second thing is um i it, it's clear to anyone who, who, who has, a, I think, a functioning pair of eyes that the, the French and the Americans are, for lack of a better term, um, blackmailing him. Because clearly, um, he's not really in control here. If, you've, if you follow the situation from day one, it's been clear that the decisions that he has made are not the decisions of someone who has actually thought this through. These are the decisions of a puppet who has someone's, someone's mouth in his ear, someone's hand up his arse pardon my French. So, for example, um, last well, two weeks ago, when this crisis initially erupted, um, under Nigerian law, a, a president is not permitted to deploy the Nigerian military outside of Nigeria without approval from, from the Senate, from the Parliament. It's not permitted. But he tried to circumvent that. Um, he uh, illegally deployed Nigerian special forces into Niger. And certain people within the Nigerian military actually um were not on board with this at all. And um they, they took an unprecedented step, right? They actually leaked the top secret document from the, the defence headquarters to me. Right. Bear in mind that I'm I'm viewed very much as a journalist who is almost like an enemy of state in Nigeria. So for the Nigerian military to actually leak such a document to me, I think that tells you everything you need to know about, you know, how this war is viewed even within the ranks of the Nigerian military. So um, after this document was leaked and I put it out, you know, I was accused of, you know, treason, you're betraying soldiers' locations, you should be picked up, blah, 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 blah. But it achieved, you know, that leak achieved its goal. It actually stopped that illegal invasion. And then he went to the Senate to ask for approval. The Senate turned him down. So now the tactic that has been adopted is to go hide behind ECOWAS and claim that, well, ECOWAS has approved the uh, deployments of this thing called the standby force, right? First of all, who is ECOWAS? ECOWAS is Nigeria, right? So it's like saying, um, I don't know, uh, if, if you're talking about the UK, right? And say there's a, you know, something relating to football in the UK and you say, oh, um, the British, say, no, there's England, which is the, by far the dominant force, and then there's Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland, you know, but England is the dominant force. There's a similar thing within ECOWAS. There is no such thing as ECOWAS in this in, in the real sense of it. There is Nigeria. Every single time that there's been a military intervention by ECOWAS, it's essentially been the Nigerian military being. So that's like the latest attempts to sort of endron the refusal by the Nigerian Parliament to, to grant him his war because he desperate, obviously, desperately wants this war, and the, the sheer amount of desperation that is being that, that is being displayed here makes it clear to me that this this isn't something that came out of his own head, right? And the noises coming out of Paris and Washington D.C. just make this all the more obvious. You know, you essentially have uh, President Macron um, almost issuing edicts. You know, for, for many years, yeah. the, 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 the French have sort of tried to mask their openly colonial positioning within West Africa. I, I remember sometime in 2020, I personally even wrote an article in the in uh, the Africa Report where I essentially pushed back on the idea that the French have direct colonial um, control of Africa. I, I critiqued the idea, right? Because, you know, based on the understanding that I have there, look... The France of Charles de Gaulle and the France of today are, you know, remarkably different countries, and it, it no longer sort of captures the French public imagination of to have Africa under its thumb or anything. So, for many years, that's the image that France has tried to curate in Africa. But this time around, it's just it's shed all pretense. It's as I said, visible to the blind and audible to the deaf. It's it, it's almost like you know Macron screaming at Nigeria, that, hey, go get get me back my territory, you know? And it's like, hey, Nigeria is a sovereign, independent country, isn't it? Or it's supposed to be a sovereign, independent country, isn't it? Why is there this much, you know, angst? Because they essentially said, go home, we don't want you anymore, you know? So it's clear that there are outside forces that are not just involved here, but that are actually in control, actually in the driving seat, which puts us... Nigerians in a uniquely dangerous situation, because, as you correctly stated, such a war um, wouldn 't just be a problem within you know Niger and Nigeria. the entire West African sub region is going to go up in flames you've mentioned that uh, the Malians, the Burkinabis the Guineans have already you know signaled their their support for niger Algeria has has already sent a signal that it's going to stand with Niger as well. So, potentially, you could end up having an entire belt of chaos across the Sahel. Sudan is currently in chaos. Um, Ethiopia and Eritrea are currently having issues. And as they're coming west, you're seeing that potential for an entire band of chaos. And the Russians are somewhere in amidst all of this, allegedly. And they also have an interest in this somewhere, too. So, ultimately, regardless of what happens or does not happen to the U.S. and French interests in the region we are the ones who are going to suffer the consequences you know it's it, and this is why i you know i i i i think it's a personal interest in this issue this isn't just some airy fairy political discourse right this is something that's going to have real on the ground consequences the nigerian border with niger is over a thousand kilometers long it's the longest single land border that nigeria has um the distinction between Nigerians and Nigerians is almost impossible to make. Because, again, that border was drawn on Wilhelmstrasse in in Berlin, right? It's not a border that actually makes any sense. It's just a line in the sand that was drawn at the Berlin conference. It's the same people on both sides of the border. And for the most part, it's not even a demarcated border. So if you're going to go to war with a country that you cannot functionally demarcate yourself from, how does that even work in the first place? You know, so ultimately it's going to devolve into some form of ethnic genocide. But that's almost nailed on guaranteed to happen. And once that starts to happen, the last remaining band of stability in West Africa is going to go and you are going to have essentially the entire top half of Africa going from Libya all the way down to the Central African Republic, the entire top half of Africa is going to be one continuous band of absolute mayhem. Right? And that's Close to, what, three four 400 million people whose lives are going to be thrown into utter chaos. And why? Because the U.S. has a drone base in Agadez? Or, you know, France wants to keep on mining uranium in Niger? Is that worth two or three, 400 million lives? I don't think it is, which is, you know, which is why we're having conversations like this, because clearly we're not at the point where um, the the independence or the sovereignty that we probably thought we had... Um, it's clear that we don't have. So maybe, I don't know, we're living through the 1960s all over again. So maybe there needs to be another pan African racial movement. I don't know. But clearly, that's the situation we found ourselves in now. We're literally being ruled by a vassal, by an illegitimate vassal who does not answer to us. A vassal who's a bagman, and maybe
0: even worse than that. This is peerless uh, analysis. Uh, For those who are not uh, already following you, and a very large number of people are, uh, what's the best way uh, to keep up to date with your thinking, your reportage on this matter?
1: Right. So um, my platform is called West Africa Weekly. So that's um, WestAfricaWeekly.substack.com. I also have a, a documentary channel on YouTube. It's called West Africa Weekly. Um, and then you can, you can
2: find me on social media. It's just, it's my name, David hundane It's it's just there. So that's pretty much easy to find. Yes, uh, there you have it. U.S. Uh, brazenly setting everyone on fire to serve uh, the agenda. And uh, here we have it in, uh, in the U.S. In Nigeria has handpicked a criminal to uh, represent or to rule over the people of Nigeria with elections coming heavily backed. And, uh, you know, if he's elected, if he wins the election, he's going to win it because of uh, a big help from uh, Uncle Sam. And uh, then when you look at all these things coming through, you know, it's nothing new. If you ask uh, the people of Pakistan what the uh, U.S. did to Imran Khan. So, uh, yeah, imagine this is not even close. The Nigerian is, uh, you know, if you look at it, he is not even... Someone that is uh, close to the people, he's not even chosen by the people. He's not even known well uh, by the people. But uh, Nigeria is only sovereign in name, according uh, to our journalists. There, uh, Nigeria is only sovereign in name, but it has an occupying force. That is what uh, David Hoon Dain is saying, and it only has it's under occupation. It is a sovereign state and the occupation, and you know who the occupiers are. And then uh, there's insinuation where David says uh, that this guy, he's a drug dealer who bought himself into uh, Nigerian uh, politics, had a deal uh, with the Buhari. Hmm. You remember Buhari? After he said, "Buhari, I'll let you have uh, the first uh, eight years, or what? Four eight, or yeah, eight years," and then after that, it is my turn. I'm going to come to the fore. I'm going to be there, and uh, yes, he's, he's there. He's going to be there. He wants to be there, uh, but uh, David has uh, really blown his cover, and then you find that, that he says it's his turn, and if you look at Africa or West Africa, West Africa is being targeted by the U.S. and France, and it's being targeted to such an extent that if things are not uh, brought under control, that part of Africa will be in constant turmoil, will be in big turmoil. So uh, the article on uh, this wannabe president was uh, exposed by the Nigerian uh, military. They actually gave it to David, and uh, yeah, David has uh, given it eloquently to the whole world. The Nigerian army leaked the documents to uh, David Hundayin to expose this uh, wannabe president, and so the story goes through, and uh, we watch. Look at the Sahel region. It's really, I mean, look at Sudan and what's happening in places like that, Mali, and all these uh, different types of countries. But what they are, the people are realizing, even in Niger, that, uh, you know, enough is enough. It's time uh, for us to get rid of these uh, colonial powers or these mischief makers. And uh, then you have, uh, you know, a country like China, Russia, waiting and seeing what's happening. But in the case of uh, uh, Russia, Uh, They've sent some, uh, I think, nuclear, uh, military things here to South Africa, watching very closely because the BRICS summit is coming up and uh, perhaps sending a warning to Uncle Sam, be careful, stop meddling and doing all this. Well, I can tell you it was a mashallah informative evening in uh, your company. Uh, We wanted to do one more topic, but I see uh, Lukolo telling me time has uh, caught up uh, we wanted to talk about the hidden truth about burning of the Noble Qur'an uh, by C.J. <coughs> Werleman. But, uh, yeah, time has caught us, uh, and we've run out of time. But I must thank uh, Lucolo for doing uh, brilliant engineering as usual. Keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming and uh, lovely nasheeds interspersed. From the team and I, till we meet you again, we bid you, assalamu Alaikum, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.